It is officially upon us, graduation season and summer and all the things that go with that. My name is Rob Hempel, I'm the student ministries pastor here at Northland and excited for everything that's coming up this summer and all the activities, but uh, man, we are, we are in the thick, we are in the thick of graduation season. And we are also, I don't know about you, if you know anyone that's graduating today, we are recognizing our high school seniors that will be walking across the stages in high schools and different places across. So for them and also anyone else that may be graduating, that's in this room, you're graduating from grad school or college or uh, you're graduating, maybe you got a promotion at work, I don't know, we'll, we'll applaud you too, uh, kindergarten, whatever it is, whatever you graduated for, we want to say congratulations to you as well. What an accomplishment. What an accomplishment. So, you know, summer brings with it the beginning and introduction of a lot of summer blockbuster movies. Uh, there was one that came out recently, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think it's uh, Pokemon Detective, no, wait, that's not it. Uh, Endgame, right? How many of you seen Endgame? Been there already? A few of you? What? Okay. Man, crazy movie. I understand if you haven't been there yet, I, I get that because it takes like a half a day commitment uh, to go and see this movie and a ton of fees for babysitting. I mean, it's like a four hour endeavor. And so, but anyway, so like, but it has already, already just shot up the charts in, in gross revenue. In fact, Avatar is still leading at 2.87 billion but Endgame, even just being out a month, Endgame is already at 2.5 billion. Now, like you, I also know of some people that have seen it already three and four times. God bless them, praying for them to get a life, but <laughs> it, it, we're just in that moment, like it's, it's, it's a big thing, it's, it's happening, so you, sure, go see it, but you know, plan your, plan your week around it, apparently. So the term endgame, I thought we have to capitalize on this. And so we started looking at something, I'm going to go with that. Endgame. Endgame is, is terminology, it's phraseology used in, in strategic gaming, in strategic games like chess. In chess, as you're sitting across your opponent playing a match, you have set forth an endgame in mind. In fact, it, what it means is how you're going to finish the match with a plan for victory already established. How are you gonna to get to that point where you can begin your end game, where you're gonna go into your end game strategy in order to finish with the victory? Now, I didn't know this, because I'm just, I'm not a, I don't play chess that much, and in fact, the last time I played was probably on vacation when the power went out and we were playing by candlelight because there was just nothing else to do. But, I didn't know this, but a, 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 an opponent in chess can tell a lot about you and about your end game of what it's gonna look like there at the end of the match based on how you start the match. I didn't know this, maybe that's why my nine-year-old beats me all the time, I'm not sure, but that is what can tell someone what your end game is going to look like. And so with that theme in mind, I wanted us to look at the book of Hebrews this morning because the writer of Hebrews kind of writes with this end game mindset, if you will, and even in chapter 12, as you turn there, we're, we're, we're see, we can see at the beginning of chapter 12 where he encourages us to run the race that God has set before us, keeping in mind what is at stake. And he says, run that race with perseverance. 
And the writer of Hebrews continues on in, in, in those verses. And, he, and the chapter began with this encouragement to run the race, but then it continues on. He says, spiritual growth comes through training. Because that mindset, that in-game mindset, that's not something you and I are born with. That comes from a tra- the training of the mind. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, in that, that Greek terminology there, is saying it is strenuous exercise to get to that point, to persevere through that. Speaking of strenuous exercise, how many of you ran the Fully Alive 5K yesterday? All right? Yes, a few of you, okay. I'm just happy that you got out of bed this morning and were able to come to church, amen? So, excited. Uh, I was there with you, uh, running in spirit. I really was. The writer continually goes, he says, scripturally this passage encourages us as Christians to press on through all of the hardships, through the experiences that you and I suffer together, walk through together. Why? Because it is training us, as it says in verse 11, for what's to come. Look at verse 11, it says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of what? Of righteousness. So once again, we've, we've been through them. We can see how God used those struggles to train us for what is to come and to get us through those. It, it's, it's the same thing, and it was probably taken, honestly, out of the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, chapter 35, it says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. So the writer of Hebrews is saying basically the same thing, but this time he's saying it with encouragement. This time he's saying with like, like go, you can do this. You've got this. This is not unlike language that a a trainer would say to his athlete. So it's good spiritual advice. It's good athletic advice. Yet it's in the context. To continue the path that you have begun with your end game in mind. And so the, the whole kind of big takeaway that I want us to walk out of here with this morning is this. Kind of a scriptural warning to us all, if you will. That it's possible to do something now in the moment that will affect through a decision, the future that we want to get to, but once we get here, we actually probably may not like. And with that in mind, we look at the writer of Hebrews and what he's saying through this. And we want to watch out because he says, here's here's what he says. He says, watch out, or heads up, say that with me, say heads up, for the Esau syndrome. This is the Esau syndrome. Don't trade away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. In other words, how do we navigate the moment to get to our future over there? Going back to scripture, this is what he says. It says, heads up, watch out for that. Don't be like Esau, because why? Because verse 17, look at this, he says, for you know that even afterwards when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it sought for it with tears. So tears or no tears, it was, it was too late. A little context here, this is just an Old Testament truth and story being told through the eyes of the Hebrew writer here. And what he's saying, to give you a little uh, background, he's saying, watch out, don't be like Esau. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. What, who is Esau? Well, Esau, as we know, was the grandson of someone famous in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Abraham. Right? We know Abraham. Abraham would be, if we were going to do a, a biblical hall of fame, Abraham would be like a top five inductee. Would you agree? Amen? So he's that guy. And so Esau's the, the grandson of Abraham. Now, Abraham was considered, he was just a regular guy, to be honest. 
until one day when he truly believed God. And then he became known as the father of our faith, the father of anyone who believed, according to Scripture. And through him, God said, Abraham, I'm going, to put, I'm going to bestow upon you all of these promises for you and your bloodline, your family. Abraham's like, okay. God says, first of all, first promise is this. You and your wife Sarah are going to have a boy. Abraham probably chuckled. Here's why. They weren't younglings anymore, right? They were a little old. In fact, they were super old, kind of, sort of. Right? And so they're probably looking at that going, picturing themselves as a, this couple pushing the stroller around. People are going, what's up? Like, what is that about? Like, right? So this was not something that seemed possible. But that's the, whole, that's the whole point. Because God does the possible. He does the impossible. He does it when it's just beyond possible or just beyond impossible. He does the possible. He shows up in a big way. So this is what he says. God promises Abraham and and Sarah, they're going to have this boy, but then he doesn't fulfill the promise right away. He waits another while. And not only does he show up and fulfill the promise, he says, I'm going to fulfill the promise, but I'm going to wait until Abraham's body, get this, is as good as dead. Now, I'm not an expert, but I don't think that's a compliment. You don't see that in many social media profiles, right? Like, my name is Tim. I love soccer, I'm in banking, and my body is as good as dead, right? Like, that just doesn't show up, you know? Like, hey, contact me or, yeah, okay. So that just doesn't show up in many social media profiles, nor maybe should it. But here's the point. Like, Abraham's body was as good as dead is what he's saying, and and that's where God showed up. God fulfilled it when it wasn't not just impossible, but it was beyond impossible. Listen, if you're here today, and you're just checking out this God thing, you're just checking out this faith thing, I want you to hear this, because you'll hear in this story and as we go on throughout the day that God is a God who shows up in a big way. When when it seems impossible, here's a little thing you need to know about God. God can bring streams into the desert. God can carve out highways through the sea. He is a heavenly king with omnipotent powers with an earthly care and concern for each and every one of us, amen? And that is our God, that's the God that we serve. And so he shows up in a big way. When we think it's humanly, impossible to achieve, God shows up and says, no, it's possible, watch this. That is the God that we worship, that is the God, and impossible is just not in his vocabulary. So at the beginning of this promise, not only Abraham, Sarah, you guys going to have a boy, but that's just the beginning of it, because that boy is going to come from a nation, and and it's going to have so many descendants, more descendants than the stars in the night sky, according to the verses. It was going to bring, a, ultimately, the Jewish nation, and through that, it was going to bring a Messiah, a Savior. And then I want to throw in the 2019 translation. God was going to bring an Avenger. Amen? I mean, but unlike Thor and Hulk, Captain America, and all these guys together, Iron Man, unlike those guys, which are great and all in their realm, this Avenger, the ultimate Avenger, was going to come and was going to crush the head of the enemy. He was going to conquer death. He was going to bring men back to life, take them to heaven. He was going to rule over all of the world. We all, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the ultimate Avenger who is coming, and he is coming soon. Amen? So, through that, and that was the promise that, that God gave to Abraham. 
through that, through your family, through your bloodline, through your lineage, through your, your faithfulness, Abraham. These are the promises, these incredible, unseemably possible promises are going to take place through your life and through the life of your family. And, and so here we, here we are, and so this happens, and the, uh, let's, let's read what happens next. So if you have Genesis 25, 27 through 34, if you want to follow along there, we're going to read this. This part of the story. Verse 27 says, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. That sounds really good. For I am famished. Verse 31, but Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So of what use is this, is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank. He rose and he went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, interesting part of that story we're going to get to in just a minute. And by the way, if you're, if you're dining in with us this morning, our servers will be with you in just a second. If you're on the front row today, you may be getting what's in that crock pot. But maybe you don't want it. We'll have to wait and see. According to the promise here, the birthright is passed down to Isaac. And even Isaac and Rebekah have to overcome this surmisable what seems impossible, right? Because Rebekah struggles with infertility for like 20 years. But then she hits the lotto. She gets pregnant. And she doesn't just get pregnant. She gets the, the, the two-for-one deal, right? Can I get a hey, hey, all right? She's having twins. Man, what a great thing. Or maybe a surprise. But either way, it's a great thing. God's fulfilling his promise. And so here comes... Here it comes, the day of birth happens. First baby is born, it's a little boy. And they look at him, there he is. We're gonna name him Esau. Esau means hairy. Hairy baby, I'm not sure. I don't know what that means. That must have been a lot of fun in elementary school later. Then comes the second little boy. and He's hanging on to the heel of the first little boy and so they call him heel catcher. And his name is we now know him as Jacob, and Jacob comes out, and he's hanging under the heel of Sasquatch in front of him, and they come out together. But because of what the Bible says and the standard for them, the firstborn is the one who gets the birthright. Now, why is that a big deal? Because the birthright does three major things. Number one, whoever has the birthright gets a double portion of the family's financial inheritance. Now, with two boys being born here, what happens is those portions are divided up into thirds. Therefore, Esau, having the birthright, will get two-thirds, Jacob, one-third. Now it's starting to make sense, right? Dollars and cents, right? So the second thing about having the birthright means that you have a, a, priestly, a priestly role within your family and within the community. And the third thing is simply that all decisions, if there's any disputes with the family business, if there's any disputes, whatever, all decisions come back and rest solely on you. Now, do you think 
that if those two boys had known what was at stake, that they would have been like, that would have been like the cage match of the century inside, <laughs> right? As they're racing to get out, knowing what is ahead of them, but they didn't know that because God created them very differently as they were about to see. And so, as we continue, as, it, as the, the scripture provides the story of what happens between these, ten, these, these two guys, they're, they're twins, yet they're so different. And they're out in the field. Esau's in the field. Jacob's in the tent, as the, as the verse said. Now, now, Jacob is kind of your, he's, he's living in the tents. He's probably hanging on there. He's probably like shopping around on Amazon. He's looking on Pinterest for a good recipe for some soup, right? And he's like, oh, let's see what I can find here. Bam, found it, pin it, right? So he's got that going for him. Fresh bread recipe, got it. Esau, man, he's, he's a man, he's an outdoorsman, right? I mean, he's like the Cabela's meets REI guy. He's out there in the field. He's a hunter. He loves it. I mean, that's just his thing. He looks like he just walked off the cover of Field and Stream. I mean, he's like a true outdoorsman, Esau is. And Esau comes into the tent, and he is famished. He's had a hard day, and there's Jacob. And Jacob is stirring, and the aroma is just overtaking Esau's appetite, and he is famished. And Jacob says, hey, Esau, how about I serve you some hot, fresh ramen noodles, <laughs> right? That's what he said. It, maybe it wasn't ramen noodles. The reason I use ramen noodles today is because we wanted you guys to get a head start on learning how to survive in college next year. And so, it'll be a bowl for you coming in just a moment. But in this moment, Jacob sees an opportunity because he sees where Esau is, and he gets this awesome tasting chicken-flavored stew. It's okay. He pours this soup in here like so, and now he puts it before Esau. He says, Esau, I can take care of your physical need. I can take care of your appetite right now, but you have to give me your birthright. Esau says, okay. Jacob's working the room, taking the fresh bread out of the oven, smells wafting around the room, and, and all Esau can see, he can't see the future promise that God has bestowed upon his life, can he? Because right now, the only thing that's that he can see is what's in front of him, and it's this. And so in that moment, because of that, Esau didn't get to experience any of that because he sold his birthright. He sold everything. He sold his future for what? A bowl of soup. That seems unbelievable. It's true. It's in the, New, it's in the Old Testament. Go and, go and read that, that story. And I want you to know this. That steamy stew, when it hits our noses, and I don't know what the steamy stew represents for you, but when it hits our notice, a lot is attached to this. For a lot of us, it's our happiness. For a lot of us, it's our identity. For a lot of us, it's our, our fear. It's our anxiety is attached to this. And when it's served up, and we, all we can see is this, all we can smell is this, all that we can intake is what's right here, we buy into it. And it changes the trajectory, and it causes us to go from a moment where we knew where we were headed, where God had our best at stake, our best planned out, and it changes the trajectory of where we go. I don't know what that represents for you today. 
but I want us to give, I want to give three warnings. Three, three warning signs, because here's the thing. You don't want what the devil has in his crockpot. You don't want it. It may seem good. It may smell good in the moment. You don't want it. And he is slow cooking the death of your calling. And students, listen to me. Those who are about to walk out of here and go to college campuses all over or go to work, wherever you're going to go, you've got to be prepared. You've got to say no. And we're going to talk about what you can do to be ready for this moment because it's coming. It's coming. I mean, you may walk on campus here in, in, a, in, a, few, uh, in a few weeks even. Some of you are starting out this summer. And there's going to be a guy on campus. All this stuff's going to be going on. And he's going to be known as the free t-shirt guy. All right? He's going to be throwing out free t-shirts. And everybody wants free t-shirts, right? Anybody want a free t-shirt? Okay, yeah. Over here, all right, Becca. Nice catch. But here's the thing, I, I, I'm, I'm out, sorry. We, did, we didn't reload, my bad. But here's the thing, those t-shirts aren't free. He's not the free t-shirt guy, what he really is, he's the credit card guy. And you're gonna walk on campus, and he's gonna say, hey, if you want that free t-shirt, just sign the dotted line here. And man, your first semester, we got you covered. You can go and you have a $5,000 limit. No one's going to know. In fact, when you don't sign away, they'll continue pushing. And they'll say, what if, we, what if you didn't see a bill or a statement for 90 days? And in their mind, in your mind, you're thinking, wow, 90 days, my parents won't even know. Right? And we make decisions then that change the trajectory of where we're going in a moment. We've got to be careful of that. We've got to guard ourselves against that as you go. And we're praying for you. We'll talk about that in a minute. God, the, the enemy wants us so bad just to pull up a chair here. We've got to protect our minds. We've got to protect who we are. And we've got to know before we walk in any tent that might be serving that kind of soup, we've got to know whose we are. So here's the first thing I want you to write down today. Your desires, guess what? Your desires can keep you from your destination. I mean, Esau's desire was food, right? But I mean, desire is desire, appetite is appetite, doesn't really matter. That's why, why Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, and he said, in Philippians 3.19, he said, about the possibility of living in a place where your God is your belly, where basically feeling good is the highest God. Now, the other services didn't get this part right here. I want to talk to you about this for a second. God designed us with a sex drive. That's a good thing, right? That's, okay, we all have a sex drive, okay? It's, it's okay. Students, it's okay. That's part of who we are. Everybody's like on the edge, like, what is he going to say next, right? It's like, okay. <laughs> so, it's okay. That's the way God designed us. He knows what our appetites are. We were built with, to have certain appetites, when it comes to romance and intimacy and sexual relationships, there is a way, there is a place, there is a time to fulfill that appetite, to fulfill those desires. And it's not bad to have a sex drive, but it's not okay to let sex drive. And what I mean by that is this, be responsible with all of the freedom that God has given you. Because he's given us a lot of freedom and we have to operate within that. So be careful, be careful as you engage in these relationships. The temporary, though, is what can keep us from the eternal. 
Your desire can keep you from your destiny. Martin Luther said it like this one time. He said, just because birds fly overhead doesn't mean you need to let them nest in your hair. Got it. And we're moving ourselves away from, when we make decisions like this, moving ourselves away from what ultimately one day we're going to desire. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Jot this down. When our stomachs get empty, our standards get lower. It's never happened to you, I'm sure. When I, uh, when I moved out of my house and with, with my parents, I, I moved away, went to school in, in, uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, I, met a, I met a guy there. His name was Mike. He was a, another Floridian, and we commiserated together because we didn't see the sun for like the first 10 days that we were out there. It was in January. It was miserable, and we're depressed, and we're like, you know, we survived the first couple of weeks with, with all of the new student orientation and welcome dinners, and we ate all the free food that we could get our hands on, and then it came time, like we're out of food, and we're tired of eating out, so we were like, hey, we got to go to the grocery store. we got to make a plan. Strategic grocery shopping, people, it's a thing. So we get in his truck, we take off to this place called Kroger. Anybody ever heard of Kroger? Okay, all right, Whoop. Texans in the house, okay. So Kroger, <laughs> it's a great, great grocery store. Kroger's the only place you can go and buy a can of peas and a Colt 45 at the same stop, right? Like this only in Texas, right? Hook them horn, so, only in, so we're in this grocery store and it is about five or six o'clock at night and we're starving. That's the best time to go to the grocery store, right? No, not. And, and the dorm that we lived in, it, it was a little bit, it was older, and so it, it was difficult. They didn't have a kitchen area. All they had to cook with was microwaves and, like, guys would sneak hot plates into their rooms, that kind of thing. So it was kind of desolate. But these guys that had lived there for a while said, hey, load up. When you go to the grocery store, load up on frozen dinners. You can survive on that from microwaves. And they're like, boo, we got a plan. All right, so we go running off into the, into the Kroger with our cart, and we start where? Frozen food aisle, right? So we start there, we load up, and then we get about halfway through the store, we realize that, like, we don't have any more room to put anything. And we're buying for the both of us and going to split it at the end because that makes sense. And so there's two guys never gone grocery shopping before, right? So this is just an accident waiting to happen. And so we get to the end and uh, we get halfway through the store and we're like, oh, like Chief Brody on Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat, right? So he goes and gets a cart and he comes back and we fill that one too. And next thing you know, we split up, we come back to the, to the, to the, uh, the, the checkout and like, man, we're like up to 150 bucks in groceries. We're like, Oh, this will last us all month, right? That's, that's easy. So this is a smart move. And so we load all that in the back of his truck, and on the way back to the seminary, it's now like, it's now like in, the, in the high 30s, and we're freezing. There's no sun out. We're, we're just like, and all of a sudden, there's this billboard. And on that billboard, it's a Wendy's billboard. On that bill, man, big old, big old picture of like some hot chili steaming coming out, baked potato next to it. And next thing I know, we're in the Wendy's parking lot with a truckload of groceries in the back. And we're inside eating and just basking in this moment. This is great. We needed this. We deserve this. We were questioning whether God called us to the wrong seminary for a moment. They were like, finally the sun came out later. But in that moment, we gave up. And for a $5 baked potato and chilies, we lost quite a bit of groceries. Because when we got back and started unloading those frozen, <laughs> remember that's where we, the aisle we started out on hours ago? Because those now frozen TV dinners or frozen dinners, whatever they were, are now just a mere lukewarm suggestion. And it was all for weight. And all for what? Because our eyes, our appetite, our stomachs were empty. And our standards get much lower when our, our stomachs are empty. And that's what happened to, to Esau. He's, he wasn't filled up and he, he, he gave in to his appetite. He gave in to what was right there in front of him. And, and that happens to us. We're all susceptible to that. So now listen, I could... I could spend some time and we could all just kind of like pile on Esau and kind of make fun of him and who he was and the decisions that he made. 
but it would probably serve us better if I was really honest with you right now and tell you that I can do in minutes what can change the trajectory of where God wants to take me and have decimating results and effects on me and my family. We're all susceptible to that. We all are. That's why we got to do what God has called us to do here. Listen, if you're unclear about your calling, that's why, why and who you are and who your identity is. Listen, this was, for, for, for Esau, this was all about timing. If you think that the enemy doesn't have something cooking up for you and is waiting for just the right time, maybe it's the time when you just had a fight with your, your spouse. Maybe it's the, you just had something happen at work. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's an opportunity that presents itself and someone's saying like, hey, guess what? Come on up here. No one's going to see this. Go this way. Here's a way to cheat, to shortcut to get to, to where you want to go. No one's going to see. Maybe it's in that moment. Because timing's everything. Do you, think that, do you think that Jacob and Esau, do you think that conversation would have gone the same way if this would have been the first thing in the morning and they're sitting around the breakfast table and Jacob says, hey, Esau, trade me your birthright. I'll give you some more Captain Crunch, right? Esau's like, are you, are you kidding? Are you crazy? That's the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Come here, puts him in a headlock, you know, and grow up, right? The devil, the enemy knows our timing. He knows, he knows when we are at our weakest, when we're down, and he knows when to attack. He knows what to put in front of us. And so we've got to be cautious about that. Poor Esau didn't have a chance. And that's why we have to know whose we are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, to make your calling an election sure. In other words, know, who, know whose we are, know in who we are, and know who is watching over us. And we need to find our identity in who Jesus is through us. Listen, why do you think David in Psalm 1911 said, thy word I've hidden in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. David's saying, when you walk out into this world, don't walk out there on an empty stomach. Walk in there with the truth of the gospel in your heart. Walk out there with the truth of the gospel in your life. That way when, when credit card guy shows up, that way when, when people come and try to tempt you, say, hey, you know what? Go this way. No one's watching. Yeah, but, but, but God's word says, hey, go this way. Hey, you can cheat on this test. You're in a room. No one's watching. There's no cameras. No one's ever going to know, and you can get a, a higher score if you cheat. Yeah, but, but God's word says, hey, you know what? You're filling out your taxes right now. Guess what? No one's ever going to see. No one's ever going to know. Yeah, but, but God's word says. We have to hide it in our heart. How do you think Jesus got through all of those temptations in Matthew chapter 4? What did he do? Every time Satan was like, hey, Jesus, come here. I've got something for you. You want to be powerful and all-knowing and all that? All the power in the world. Stir, stir, stir. What did Jesus do? He said, yeah, but it is written. <laughs> Four times he said that. Don't you want to be everything? I can give you all the power, everything you ever wanted. Yeah, but it is written. It is written. It is written. He knew the power of God's word. We have to know the power of God's word. So that's what our identity is in. The more of God's word that's in us. Listen, if I have a, for me, if I have a, a stomach full of grilled chicken breast and broccoli and vegetables and all these great things, a couple power bars, whatever, I'm less likely to be attracted to what is over here. That's where Esau fell through. It wasn't protected. We've got to have our stomachs full. 
The other thing, my grandmother used to say this, idle time is of the devil, right? So, a couple months ago, we, my point is this, we have to serve. We have to do the, the work of what God has called us to do. Now, watch this. A couple months ago, I asked in our high school ministry over here, I asked them, I said, hey, raise your hand if you are serving at Northland Church in some capacity, maybe in a different ministry, maybe in the, on the security team, the parking team, children's ministry, whatever, tech team, whatever. So if you're serving, would you raise your hand? And man, over 75% of the room raised their hand. Incredible. You guys should applaud yourselves for that. That is an amazing thing. Most churches would just give anything to have that kind of participation. Now, awesome job teaching our students. But what about afterwards? How many of you are finding a place to serve in the church, serve in the community? Because that's what, that's what Jesus said his food was, remember? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Man, what power there is in actively serving. Man, one of the most exciting things that if you've ever been on a mission trip, just serving together brings people together. From his family, it builds. It's the power of having a, a, a full stomach on God's word. It's the power of serving and being active in Christ. Because on an empty stomach, our standards, our decision-making goes low. Even to the point, watch this, even to the point in sports, we got to get the win here, coach. We got to get the win. Coach says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cheat. I have a video I want to show, and I'll kind of explain it as we're watching this. This is a coach who's taught his players because they needed this run to win the game to get to the playoffs. And when I tell you what level this is at, you'll be astonished in a minute. But we want to watch this. So you got a runner in the white jersey. He's a runner. He's got to go to third base before he goes home. Right now there's a runner on third. The, the batter's going to lay down a bunt, as you'll see. And all the attention is on the play. But watch this guy. This team goes on to the playoffs. They make it to the playoffs. This unbelievable. Two umpires, the entire opposing team, the press box, the fan base, no one catches this until this video goes viral. And now they're paying some consequences. This was at the junior college level. I mean, what are we teaching our athletes today when we say, hey, guess what? That is, that's okay. We'll do that. It's part of the game. Now, as I coach baseball, so I'm watching this from a baseball coach perspective. I'm like, brilliant. That's awesome. <laughs> My wife's like, you're coaching eight and nine-year-olds? Back off, coach. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. She's always right. I don't, know, I don't know what this represents for you. I really don't. But God does, and you do. A lot of times we'll get caught up on a Friday or Saturday night and we'll start scrolling through social media and we'll see what everybody else is doing and we'll look at all the things and we'll see everything that you and I are missing out on. Man, I, I'm not there. All these people are doing that. They're doing this. They're doing that. Oh, what? I didn't even get invited to that. What's up with that? And all of a sudden our identity starts to thrive on that, on FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. But you know what's better than FOMO? is Jamo, because God says you are missing out. You are missing out on the guilt of all those things. You are missing out on the hurt. You are missing out on the sin. You are missing out on the things that can happen in your life that will change the trajectory of where God wants you to get. 
that's what you're missing out on. He's not trying to take something away from you. He's trying to provide you with something. He's trying to give you a better life. He's trying to give you a blessing. Like he wanted to bestow the birthright on Esau. Esau sold that in a moment. Over what? I don't know what this represents for you. It may be a, a, a something that you struggle with. And I pray for that. But it also may, it also may represent something that took place in your life. Maybe it was a, a tragedy. Maybe it was something traumatic to where afterwards you're like, I, I quit. I can't get back up. And the enemy said, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Stay down there. I've got just the thing. And you started realizing how attractive this comfort sin was in your life. Oh, he knew how to serve it up like a perfect culinary dish, ladled out perfectly and laid it before you. He knew what he was doing. Here's what I'm saying to you. It's not too late to get back up because if whatever happened and you said, I quit, I'm not going on, the enemy said, it's okay, we'll take care of you. I'm saying, get back up. When I was uh, the last semester of, or not the last, but my second semester of seminary, you're definitely going to think that I chose the wrong seminary after I tell you this story. I had just gotten engaged to Audra, who had become, who's become my wife and um, number one supporter and love her very much. We had just gotten engaged. It's August. I went out a few days early back to seminary, sitting on the dorm room. There was a couple of dead days before the semester actually started, and there was a couple of us were standing, sitting on the, the stairs in the, in the dorm, the big room at the front of the dorm, and this guy came in, he was a seminary student, he said, hey, I just got a call, God's called us to a church in Houston. He goes, I, I gotta go pack up my house and we gotta get a truck, I gotta be there by the end of the week. And he's like, I'll pay you guys, I'll, I'll buy you lunch, I'll buy you dinner, whatever it takes, I just need some help. And we were like, yeah, we're in, right? That's a, that's a no-brainer, we're all in. And so we take off over there, there were three of us, and we, we help move, we help pack, and, and we get everything, we start loading stuff up in the truck. And uh, half a day goes by and we get to all the pack boxes and the rest of the house is still not packed. And so we have to go and help this. And this is a long process. We get back from our dinner break. One friend leaves. So it's just me and my friend Paul. And as we're kind of strategizing about which box is going in next, which big thing's going in next, kind of just standing between the truck and the garage and didn't really notice. The, the mom and is holding a little baby. She's sitting on the steps of the front door and, and dad is in the back trying to help us figure out what's next and kind of thing. We didn't notice there was a car down the street. Some activity was going on, but all of a sudden, in just a minute, we heard pop, pop, whiz, whiz. And we're trying to figure out what, what is happening. Pop, pop, whiz, whiz, again. And there was a low-hanging tree in the front yard. I'll never forget the sound of those bullets flying under the, the limbs of those trees, cutting those leaves and things falling to the ground, kind of almost in slow motion. And as we begin to determine what is happening right now, that this is a drive-by shooting, you don't know what to do in that moment. You just kind of respond. You just kind of react. Just instinct. And, and in the moment, the, the mom starts screaming. She's kind of pushing over boxes and falling kind of back in the garage with the baby on her chest. And, and as the, the car now is kind of driving towards us now, pop, 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 gunfire coming from two windows. I'm hearing bullets hit off the side of the moving truck in the back of the garage. And, and, and everybody's just scrambling. 
And as I turned, there's a little girl here, and it was the little girl I took her, and I kind of threw her over some boxes on top of her mom, and the, the dads jumped down behind them. I'm, there's a box over here. I'm diving over the back of that box, but right before I do, I look back at, at my friend Paul, chose to go up the ramp and into the truck, and I just looked at him, and I was like, oh, man, just get down, get down. I'm screaming that as I'm diving now over the box back here, and I lay there, and I'm just praying, God, please don't let this car stop. Paul will not have a chance. And miraculously... Guns blazing, bullets flying. This car just continues to drive by, take off, and we don't see them again. Next thing you know, we're grabbing everybody, running everybody in the house, making sure everybody's okay. It, it was a traumatic moment. It, it, you just don't know what to do in that, in that moment, right? And so you're, we're trying to think it out. We're trying to, obviously, the police are on the way, and it seemed like in five minutes, there's police cars everywhere, there's helicopters flying over, like the, the neighborhood's in an uproar, and and, and there's just all this stuff is happening and, and just, you just don't know what to do. And so after the, the police come and we talk to them and they try to get us settled down and, and everybody's just kind of shaking what's going on. And we're like, why, why us? We're just a couple, this is seminary housing. They know what the seminary is in this neighborhood. Why us? We're just a couple seminary students. And the officer said, it's just a gang initiation. That's all it was. And in that moment, as scary as it was, now we're in the house and the, the guy says, look, I just, you know, a couple hours later, or an hour later, after all the police had come and done their thing, thankfully they parked a car down the street to let us finish because the guy said, look, I just want to pack my stuff up and get my family out of here. And so he's like, I'll pay you double the rest of the night. And we're like, you don't have to do that. We want to we see you get out of here. So we worked like dogs the rest of the night, got him out of there, got back to the dorm at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I remember waking up the next day just still kind of like, what, what just happened? thinking about my life that had flashed before my eyes, thinking about just having been gotten engaged, just thinking about my parents, maybe never seeing them again. And all these thoughts are rushing to me, and I called my mom, and I remember my mom, as I'm telling her this story, and I remember hearing the fear in her voice, maybe even just a, just a tear, sniffle. I remember her saying, it's okay if you want to come home. It's okay if you want to quit. We'll understand. Everybody will understand. And, and i got to be honest, I wanted to go home. I needed, I needed to see my family. I wanted to hug them. But I knew also, and this is what I told my mom, I knew that if I go home now, I won't come back. Because I know that God's got something for me in my life. He has, he has something planned for my life. He's got my end game in mind. And I need to have it in mind too. I'm not stopping. This is just the enemy trying to serve me something, trying to keep me on the ground. So I continued on and finished seminary here today, thank God. But in that moment, I wanted to quit. I didn't sign up to be in gun battles out here in Fort Worth, Texas. This was not my thing. So I'll just encourage you to say, to say this. I just want to say this to you. So whatever it is that that enemy has cooked up for you, whatever, maybe you've eaten that soup, maybe you just inhaled it and drank it and said, I'm done. It's not too late. God still has an end game for you. God still has a plan for you. And so today I would say, get up. Get up and keep running with perseverance. Get up and keep running with your stomach full, with your hands busy with the work of the Lord. Get up and keep running.